Chapter Thirty, Part Two of The Betrothed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Betrothed by Alessandro Mazzoni. Chapter Thirty, Part Two. There were, however, some unburdened spirits, some men of firmer mould and stronger courage, who tried to pass these days merrily. They had abandoned their homes because they were not strong enough to defend them, but they saw no use in weeping and sighing over things that could not be helped, or in picturing to themselves and contemplating beforehand in imagination the havoc they would only too soon witness with their own eyes. Families acquainted with each other had left their homes at the same time and had met with each other again in this retreat. New friendships were formed, and the multitude were divided into parties according to their several habits and dispositions. They who had money and consideration went to dine down in the valley, where eating-houses and inns had been hastily run for the occasion. In some, mouthfuls were interchanged with lamentations, or no subject but their misfortunes was allowed to be discussed. In others, misfortunes were never remembered, unless it were to say that they must not think about them. To those who either could not or would not bear part of the expenses, bread, soup and wine, were distributed in the castle, besides other tables which were laid out daily for those whom the signor had expressly invited to partake of them, and our acquaintances were among this number. Agnes and Perpetua, not to eat the bread of idleness, had begged to be employed in the services which, in so large an establishment, must have been required, and in these occupations they spent a great part of the day while the rest was passed in chatting with some friends whose acquaintance they had made, or with the unfortunate Donna Bondio. This individual, though he had nothing to do, was nevertheless never afflicted with ennui. His fears kept him company. The direct dread of an assault had, I believe, subsided, or if it still remained it was one which gave him the least uneasiness, because whenever he bestowed upon it the slightest thought he could not help seeing how unfounded it was. But the idea of the surrounding country inundated on both sides with brutal soldiers the armour and armed men he had constantly before his eyes the remembrance that he was in a castle together with the thought of the many things that might happen any moment in such a situation all contributed to keep him in indistinct general constant alarm let alone the anxiety he felt when he thought of his poor home during the whole time he remained in this asylum he never once went more than a stone's throw from the building nor ever set foot on the descent. His sole walk was to go out upon the esplanade and pace up and down, sometimes to one, sometimes to the other side of the castle, there to look down among the cliffs and precipices, in hopes of discovering some practicable passage, some kind of footpath by which he might go in search of a hiding place in case of being very closely pressed. On meeting any of his companions in this asylum, he failed not to make a profound bow, or respectful salutation, but he associated with very few. His most frequent conversations were with the two women, as we have related, and to them he poured out all his griefs, at the risk of being sometimes silenced by Perpetua, and completely put to shame, even by Agnes. At table, however, where he sat but little, and talked still less, he heard the news of the terrible march which arrived daily at the castle, either reported from village to village, and from mouth to mouth, or brought thither by someone who had at first determined to remain at home, and had after all made his escape without having been able to save anything, and probably also 
after receiving considerable ill-treatment, and every day brought with it some fresh tale of misfortune. Some, who were newsmongers by profession, diligently collected the different rumours, weighed all the various accounts, and then gave the substance of them to the others. They disputed which were the most destructive regiments, and whether infantry or cavalry were the worst. They reported, as well as they could, the names of some of the leaders, related some of their past enterprises, specified the places of halting and the daily marches. That day such a regiment would spread over such a district. Tomorrow it would ravage such another, where in the meanwhile another had been playing the very devil and worse. They chiefly, however, sought information, and kept count of the regiments which from time to time crossed the bridge of Lecco, because these might be considered as fairly gone, and really out of the territory. The cavalry of Wallenstein passed it, and the infantry of Maradus. The cavalry of Anslaut, and the infantry under Brandenburgo, the troops of Montecuccolo, then those of Ferrari, then follow Altringer, then Furstenberg, then Colorado, after then came the Croatians, Torquato Conti, and this, that, and the other leader, and last of all, is heaven's good time, come at length Galasso. The flying squadron of Venetians made their final exit, and the whole country on either hand was once more set at liberty. Those belonging to the invaded villages which were first cleared of their ravages had already begun to evacuate the castle, and every day people continued to leave the place, as after an autumnal storm, the birds may be seen issuing on every side from the leafy branches of a great tree, where they had sought a shelter from its fury. Our three refugees were perhaps the last to take their departure, owing to Donna Bondio's extreme reluctance to run the risk, if they returned home immediately, of meeting some straggling soldiers who might still be loitering in the rear of the army. It was in vain Perpetua repeated and insisted that the longer they delayed, the greater opportunities they afforded to the thieves of the neighbourhood to enter the house and finish the business. Whenever the safety of life was at stake, Donna Bondio invariably gained the day, unless, indeed, the imminence of the danger was such as to deprive him of the power of self-defence. On the day fixed for their departure, the unnamed had a carriage in readiness at Melanot, in which he had already placed a full supply of clothes for Agnes. Drawing her a little aside, he also forced her to accept a small store of scuddy to compensate for the damages she would find at home. Although, striking her breast, she kept repeating that she had still some of the first supply left. "'When you see your poor good Lucia,' said he, the last thing, "'I am already convinced she prays for me, because I have done her so much wrong. Tell her then that I thank her, and trust in God her prayers will return, also in equal blessings upon her own head.' He then insisted upon accompanying his three guests to the carriage. The obsequious and extravagant acknowledgments of Donna Bondio and the complimentary speeches of Perpetua we leave to the reader's imagination. They set off, made a short stay, according to agreement, at the tailor's cottage, and there heard a hundred particulars of the march, the usual tale of theft, violence, destruction, and obscenity. But there, fortunately, none of the soldiery had been seen. "'Ah, Signor Curate,' said the tailor, as he offered him his arm to assist him again into the carriage. They'll have matter enough for a printed book in a scene of destruction like this. As they advanced a little on their journey, our travellers began to witness, with their own eyes, something of what they had heard described. Vineyards despoiled, not as by the vintager, but as though a storm of wind and hail combined, had exerted their utmost energies. Branches strewn upon the earth, broken off and trampled under foot, stakes torn up, 
the ground trodden and covered with chips, leaves and twigs, trees uprooted or their branches lopped, hedges broken down, stiles carried away. In the villages, too, doors shivered to pieces, windows destroyed, straw, rags, rubbish of all kinds lying in heaps or scattered all over the pavement, a close atmosphere and horrid odours of a more revolting nature proceeding from the houses some of the villagers busy in sweeping out the accumulation of filth within them others in repairing the doors and windows as they best could some again weeping in groups and indulging in lamentations together and as the carriage drove through hands stretched out on both sides at the doors of the vehicle imploring arms with these scenes now before his eyes now pictured in their minds and with the expectation of finding their own houses in just the same state they at length arrived there and found that their expectations were indeed realised agnes deposited her bundles in one corner of her little yard the cleanest spot that remained about the house she then set herself to sweep it thoroughly and collect and rearrange the little furniture which had been left her she got a carpenter and blacksmith to come and mend the doors and window frames and then unpacking the linen which had been given her and secretly counting over her fresh stores of coins she exclaimed to herself i've fallen upon my feet god and the madonna and that good signor be thanked i may indeed say i've fallen upon my feet donna bondio and perpetua entered the house without the aid of keys and at every step they took in the passage encountered a fetid odour a poisonous effluvia which almost drove them back holding their noses they advanced to the kitchen door entered on tiptoe carefully picking their way to avoid the most disgusting parts of the filthy straw which covered the ground and cast a glance around nothing was left whole but relics and fragments of what once had been both here and in other parts of the house were to be seen in every corner quills and feathers from perpetuous fowls scraps of linen leaves out of donna bondio's calendars remnants of kitchen utensils all heaped together or scattered in confusion upon the floor on the hearth might be discovered tokens of a riotous scene of destruction like a multitude of ordinary ideas scattered through a widely diffused period by a professional orator there were the vestiges of extinguished faggots and billets of wood which showed them to have been once the arm of a chair a table foot the door of a cupboard a bedpost or a stave of the little cask which contained the wine so beneficial to donna bondio's stomach the rest was cinders and coal and with some of these very coals the spoilers by way of recreation had scrawled on the walls distorted figures doing their best by the help of sundry square caps shaven crowns and large bands to represent priests studiously exhibited in all manner of horrible and ludicrous attitudes an intention certainly in which such artists could not possibly have failed ah the dirty pigs exclaimed perpetua ah the thieves cried donna bondio and as if making their escape they went out by another door that led into the garden once more drawing their breath they went straight up to the fig tree but even before reaching it they discovered that the ground had been disturbed and both together uttered an exclamation of dismay and on coming up they found in truth instead of the dead only the empty tomb this gave rise to some disputes donna bondio began to scold perpetua for having hidden it so badly it may be imagined whether she would fail to retort and after indulging in mutual recrimination till they were tired they returned with many a lingering look cast back at the empty hole grumbling into the house they found things nearly in the same state everywhere long and diligently they worked to cleanse and purify the house 
the more so, as it was then extremely difficult to get any help, and they remained for I know not what length of time, as if in encampment, arranging things as best they could, and bad was the best, and gradually restoring doors, furniture, and utensils, with money lent to them by Agnes. In addition to these grievances, the disaster was, for some time afterwards, the source of many other very ticklish disputes. For Perpetua, by dint of asking, peeping, and hunting out, had come to know for certain that some of her master's household goods, which were thought to have been carried off or destroyed by the soldiers, were instead safe and sound with some people in the neighbourhood, and she was continually tormenting her master to make a stir about them and claim his own. A cord more odious to Donabondio could not have been touched, considering that his property was in the hands of ruffians, of that species of persons, that is to say, with whom he had it most at heart to remain at peace. "'But if I don't want to know about these things,' said he, "'how often am I to tell you that what is gone is gone? "'Am I to be harassed in this way too, because my house has been robbed?' "'I tell you,' replied Perpetua, "'that you would let the very eyes be eaten out of your head. "'To rob others is a sin, but with you it is a sin not to rob you.' "'Very proper language for you, certainly,' answered Donabondio. "'Will you hold your tongue?' "'Perpetua did hold her tongue, but not so directly.' and even then everything was a pretext for beginning again, so that the poor man was at last reduced to the necessity of suppressing every lamentation on the lack of this or that article of furniture at the moment he most wanted to give vent to his regrets, for more than once he had been doomed to hear, "'Go seek it at such a one's who has it, and who wouldn't have kept it till now if he hadn't had to do with such an easy man.' Another and more vivid cause of disquietude was the intelligence that soldiers continued daily, to be passing in confusion, as he had too well conjectured. Hence he was ever in apprehension of seeing a man, or even a band of men arriving at his door, which he had had repaired in haste the first thing, and which he kept barred with the greatest precaution. But, thank heaven, this catastrophe never occurred. These terrors, however, were not appeased when a new one was added to their number. But here we must leave the poor man on one side, for other matters are now to be treated of, than his private apprehensions, the misfortunes of a few villages, or a transient disaster. End of chapter 30, part 2